0: Thank you, choir, and thank you for being here today on this uh, Christmas Eve. Always a very special time for us to worship and go to God's Word. So, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 2? Matthew chapter 2. We've seen the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2, which is from Mary's version of what happened at Christmas time. And in Mary's version, we see also the shepherds are invited in. And she brought forth the firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger or a feeding trough. And there was no room for them in the inn. But there were shepherds out there in the fields and they were frightened and all of a sudden the angels came upon them and then they were frightened. And they had the invitation to come and see the Christ child. So we see Luke 2 from Mary's version. But we also see Matthew chapter 2 from Joseph's side of the story. And from really, Mary's version was Luke's writing from a kind of Greek point of view. And um, um, Matthew writes from a Jewish point of view. And he shows how Christ is, has this Jewish background from Abraham through the son of David and through Joseph who was connected with the son of David. And he shows how he fits the scripture that was predicted years ago what would happen. And the Jewish people looked forward to a Messiah who would come one day, and then when he came, he came in unexpected ways that they never thought that he would come. And it was a surprise when he came. Sometimes God just surprises us, and we need a good surprise. Now, if you have your Bibles at Luke chapter two, just we'll read uh, just the uh, first two verses that talk about the Magi, the magi. They're mysterious people who come out of the East and they come uh, and as a group. Probably they didn't have, well three three kings. We get the idea of three of them from the gifts they bought, brought of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But it was probably more than that. It was probably a large group, a small kind of army. You don't travel across the east with just three wise men bearing gold and gifts like that. They would not have lasted. So all of a sudden they show up in Jerusalem. And Herod the king is troubled. Uh, Luke doesn't have a villain in the story of the Christ child. But Matthew shares the villain of being Herod in the story. And Herod still lives. Not the Herod, but the person he personified. We're still in a world that's full of Herod. And they're kind of egomaniac people that are absorbed with power. And they go into rages. And they want what they want when they want it. And they want it the way they want it. And that's the kind of world we live in. I appreciate uh, Elaine. Uh, I know she wasn't going to be here today, so she gave me my check. So usually uh, she gives me my check after I preach. (laughs) But she is giving me my check early today, so I'm going to close this in prayer and we'll all go home. Amen? (laughs) I don't have to work (laughs) work for this one. (laughs) Now, uh, turn to the person next to you and tell them what you're going to give somebody for Christmas. Would you do that? Just turn to somebody next to you and... (laughs) Now, a weed eater is not a good present to give your wife for Christmas. Let me encourage you to do better than that. And when she says, don't get me nothing, don't buy that, you get something. I don't care what it is, you get something. Okay, if don't, you'll be in trouble somewhere down the line. There are a lot of good Christmas songs, and uh, one of those that was my mother-in-law's favorite uh, Christmas song was written or sung by a girl named Gayla Peavy, and Peavy was not a Taylor Swift, but she uh, sang at 10 years old in 1953. And she says, I don't want a doll or a tinky-tinky toy. All I want is a hippopotamus. Amen? (laughs) Have any of you ever heard that song? If you have, would you raise it? Okay, it kind of stays in your head. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. And... uh, Frank could sing that better, and I thought you were going to have that as your choir special this week, but it didn't happen. By the way, she got a hippopotamus for Christmas, a 500-pound hippopotamus, which she named Matilda, and uh, so she donated it to the zoo. So she got what she wanted, but she didn't want what she got, and sometimes that happens. Who is the perfect gift? The perfect gift... Yale University did a study on the perfect gifts. What is the perfect gift? And the perfect gift represents a giver. And I knew that you would give me this. This represents you. And the perfect gift represents a receiver saying, that's just exactly what I needed. And thank you for giving me that. The perfect gift is Christmas was what you and I need deepest places in our life we need hope we need peace we need love we need to know that one of these days when we take this last breath in this life that there's a place prepared for us and God will come and receive us into himself and take us to a place that he's prepared We need to know that when we're in this life that there will be a guidance and a person there for us and we're not here all alone. But there's something, there's a presence that is more powerful than the things that I face and I need a presence with me to guide me as I walk through life. The perfect present was Jesus Christ. And he still is a perfect present. And the invitation given to the shepherds is still the invitation to you and me. Come, the angels sing, Peace on earth, goodwill toward me. And the shepherds saw that this was the opportunity, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. He wants to be inside your heart, and he wants to be inside my heart. But he comes by invitation. And it's an invitation to be received. And he opens that. Susan and I, this past week, sat down with a lady named Christine. Christine and her husband, David. Uh, Christine had lost her, just her, her father just died, and she was very close to her mother. Uh, her father and she was not close to her mother her mother was kind of a harsh person and so they were not that close and the person who filled that deep need in her life was her father and when he passed away she was looking for something to hold on to and she uh, we sat there and talked and as we talked we shared with Christine uh, how she could come to know Christ as her Savior. And I showed her the plan of salvation. And when I showed her that plan of salvation, uh, her eyes just, that was just tears in her eyes. And she said, uh, I want to receive Christ right now. And so often when I share Christ with people, there's this kind of hesitancy, and I say, Well, you think about that, and and if you want to make that decision, just let me encourage you to do it. She said, I want to make it now. And I was kind of drawn back, and I said, you know, the eagerness that was there uh, kind of overwhelmed us. And I said, well, maybe you need to think about that. (laughs) She said, I want it now. And in that moment, she prayed to invite Christ into our life. And I could see the joy come in and fill those places. But let me tell you who had the greatest joy it was Susan and I as we shared Christ with this lady who needed to have the Lord inside of her heart to guide her through what she was about to face. Now, that's a good thing to close on, so let's close. And No, not really, i just like to share that. Now yeah, in honor of God's word uh, would you stand in Matthew chapter 2 and let's read about these uh, mysterious people who come out of the east and when Jesus was born in Bethlehem the word Bethlehem means house of bread and, and today it's in Palestinian hands and uh, but it's still the place his birthplace it wasn't a place of warriors and fighters and People who went to, it was a place of shepherds because it was a rich growing rain, grain region. But God had promised David long time ago that the Messiah would be born in his line and would be born in Bethlehem. So, in the days of Herod the king, and if you have the King James Version, it's like, behold, and the Greek word is edu. So um, you need to know some Greek. So turn to somebody next to you and say, it do. Would you do that? Just, it do. And again, that'll just really bless your heart by saying that. And uh, if you ever get in a tight spot, just say, it do. And you'll know it and nobody else will. But the whole is like, don't miss this. Don't miss this. And if you're asleep, it'll wake you up. Don't miss this. Behold, there came wise men of Magi from the east to Jerusalem. Now, how they got to Jerusalem is an interesting story. And they kept saying this. The word there is in imperfect in, in Greek. It's that they said it over and over again in Jerusalem. Now it's not good to say, where is the king who is born king when you got a reigning king? And that could be trouble. But they're saying, where is he? who is born king of the Jews, for we have seen his star. And there was a prophecy in Numbers that the star would designate the fact that the king of Israel would be born. We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Prasuke is a the word there. It means to fall face down and worship him. Now, may God bless the reading of his word, and you may be seated. Before we get to the Magi, we're given the story of Joseph. So if you have your Bibles, look in chapter 1, verse 18. Here's the story of Joseph. And the struggle that Joseph had with this situation, um, Jesus was conceived in a virgin. Um, He was not It wasn't so much a virgin birth Hers was a normal birth But the conception was by the Holy Spirit And Mary knew that But nobody else knew that And so the word on the street was She was pregnant And they were not married yet And so there was this scandal That overflowed her And it seemed like when she gave birth to her child, her family was not there with her. And she was all kind of alone. When she said yes to the angel, she paid a price for saying yes to the angel. Because nobody would understand her and she's going to buy herself. So now the birth of Jesus Christ was this way. When his mother Mary was engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child. Now, that was an exciting thing for Susan and I when we learned that we were going to have our first child. But sometimes that is a tough moment, especially when the girl is not married. That can be a tough moment and she was found with child nobody understood that but what Matthew wants to show us in verse 18 is it was by the Holy Spirit but it doesn't it doesn't fit the biological scheme and so Joseph heard the rumor on the street and as Joseph heard the rumor on the street he was engaged to her And what was he going to do? It looked like she had been unfaithful to him. And so that was kind of a legal responsibility that he would have to separate himself from the one who looked like she had gone in the wrong kind of direction. And so he struggled with that. If you look in verse 19, Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. So he was having a private ceremony that would divorce he and Mary because they were engaged, and the engagement then was a legal kind of situation in uh, Israel. So he was going to put her away. He, he could have made a public skeptical of her, he could have even had her stoned, but he decided to put her away privately and he thought that was a good decision he may have even had the kind of synagogue approval over that decision because even the synagogue didn't know that what was going on was God was happening in a surprising way so he decides to put her away but he struggled with that he said now he was considering these things and and he had made that decision but but he, he wasn't happy with that decision. And our feelings come into play. We see the inner struggle that Joseph has with this kind of moment. What does he do? She is being unfaithful to him. Does he, does he come after her the way she has hurt him? But she had not really hurt him. So he's struggling with his feelings. And everything looks like on the surface that this was a wrong that needed to be corrected. So Joseph struggles, our feelings. He's afraid to take her to be his wife. He kind of wants to be, take her to be his wife, but he's afraid of the repercussions that may go with that. So what does he do? He feels like he's done the right thing to put her away privately. I remember a couple coming to me and in my office and they were just loving each other and caring for each other. And the couple was, um, had been high school sweethearts and uh, both of them were very attractive kind of people. She was very attractive, he was attractive. But this teacher at the school started showing her a lot of attention. And it kind of built her ego a little bit And they started meeting and one meeting and then things led from another and she found herself pregnant. And she went to him and told him and he said, I'm married, it's your problem, not my problem. And the shame she felt of that in her family, she had nowhere else to turn. But her boyfriend went to her and said, I still love you, and I still care for you, and I forgive you, and I want you, I want to marry you and give the child my name and raise him like he's mine. And she looked at that man, and she looked at him with so much love because he had rescued her in the middle of a shameful situation. Joseph is leaving that, and he's struggling with that. And as he struggles with that, an angel came to him in a dream. Sometimes uh, we block God consciously, and so God has to come to us subconsciously. And so he comes subconsciously, in a dream to Joseph and he said Joseph don't be afraid the child in her is by the Holy Spirit and I'm sure he didn't understand everything about that I still don't understand everything about that and I wrote an article in the biblical dictionary on the Trinity but he knew enough that it wasn't Her unfaithfulness it was God working in a new way and what made Jesus have a virgin conception was not because it gave him to be the son of God but because he was the son of God he would have a unique birth that would be different from every other birth because he was the son of God who became the son of man and still was the son of God And that's different, different, difficult for us than saying there are some mysteries you just take by faith. And I like the verse here. If you have your Bible verse, well, there's a couple of beholds in there. So if you're asleep, say I do to the person next to (laughs) you. Behold, the virgin shall be with child. A verse that goes all the way back to Isaiah. And uh, you, the virgin, shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And the word, and, and Joseph, I uh, mean, Matthew interprets that, puts me in God with us. He also said you shall name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And the deepest need in our life is to have forgiveness of our sins. And I like this verse twenty-four. And Joseph being raised from sleep. Yeah, it's all right to take a nap. Amen. Can I hear amen about that? It's okay to take a nap, except in church. It's the unpardonable sin. So uh, God woke him up, or he woke up and. I don't know how many husbands that need to be woken up, amen, because they're asleep everywhere they go. They get in that chair, and then they're gone, man. They're, they're out of it. And he did as the angel of the Lord him. And he took her to be his wife. And so there was somebody with her, somebody who understood her. Somebody who could walk through this moment as the spiritual leader of his family. Now, Joseph is a perfect kind of husband. I'm sure he may have had problems. But he never says anything. <laughs> is that the perfect kind of husband? He is never quoted as saying anything. But his actions spoke louder than the words. And we find him doing as God told him to do, and he saved Mary and the child from Herod who came after them. The deepest need of a family is to have a husband who is a spiritual leader of their home. And it's a cry of so many families that do not have a father or a husband who's a spiritual leader of their home. Joseph was. When the child was born, he did as the angel told him to, to name the child Jesus. For he was, we're told who Jesus is. He comes from Abraham and David, but we're also told what he does. He forgives us of our sins, and he is god with us as we go through life and throughout matthew he is told about god being with us as only jesus could bring us without jesus god is some far off power but in jesus he is our father now uh that's my introduction are you into it you still there I want to live my full sour here. I don't want to take off anything from my check that they're giving me, okay? In in chapter 2, we all of a sudden see the sudden come of the Magi, of the wise men. The wise men were astrologers and astronomers. They were Oriental kingmakers. Probably they came from Persia. Probably they came not as uh three kings but they came as a as a small army to get across the east where there were so many bandits and different kind of people and so they came into Jerusalem and this is the only place that they're quoted where is he who is born king of the Jews again it's a surprise to Herod because Herod is the reigning king but Herod is one who has fought his way to the top He is a a political kind of genius. He knows how to play people off. He would be good in Washington playing this group against this group and and pulling this out of this way. He had a good hand in how to deal with people. He reminds me of Lyndon Johnson, although I don't think Lyndon Johnson ever killed anybody, but he could play the game. And Lyndon Johnson said, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog, and that's a good thing to do. But Herod, Herod got to the top, but once you get to the top, you got to hold it. And he was an egomaniac, but he was paranoid. He killed uh, two of his wives. A uh, man has two wives and in trouble, amen? And the scripture behind that is no man can serve two masters, amen? That's the way it is. So he killed two of his wives and three of his sons because he felt threatened and so here's this small army that finds their way into Jerusalem and Herod has to deal with them They're, they're politically as powerful as he is so Rome's in control but these guys are very powerful so you don't upset them so he knew how to handle them so he calls the wise men into his palace And when he calls them into his palace and they ask that question, where is he born king of Jews? He demands that the the Hebrew scholars come in and tell him where the Christ child was to be born. And they knew exactly where he was to be born. In Micah 5, 2, that's he's to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. That was there, and these guys are there searching for him being born, and yet these Jewish scholars will not move the 13 miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to recognize the Christ child because he doesn't come the way they expected him to come. So they have a private meeting with Herod. Herod covered it. He says, Let me know where he's to be born. You go worship him. And then bring news back to me so that I may worship him also. You call that being evasive. What he wanted to know was he asked them where they had seen the star, but he asked them the question where they, because he wanted to know how old that child was. And they said they had seen that star two years earlier and they researched it and it took them a while to get there in Jerusalem. So Herod says, you go and worship him and then I'll go worship him also. Deceit and deceitful and we still have people in this world who will deceive you and be very deceitful. And sometimes we act in that same way. So once the wise men, if you look in verse nine, when they had heard the king, they departed, and here's that word again, do. behold, there was a star. And so often um, uh, Christmas cards have them following the star, but they hadn't seen that star for two years. The last time they saw the star, was when they were in the east and they saw it and I think that was among the birth of Christ when Christ was born and so the star hadn't led them they just figured it would be in Jerusalem isn't that a good word that's a Selma word they figured (laughs) I'm still a result of Selma, Alabama fixing you ever fixing to do something Selma, Alabama coming out so they thought he was going to be in Jerusalem. That would be the obvious place. But he was in Bethlehem. And so they fought the star all of a sudden showed up when they left. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So this is not a nativity scene. This is a house. And it's, the child is two years old. Um, I've heard uh, women's groups say that if, if it had been men, wi- wise men, they would have asked for directions. But the wise men the men never asked for directions because they're never lost. And they would have brought practical gifts instead of gold frankincense and myrrh, they would have brought diapers and baby oil and all this other kind of stuff. So they find the child. and they fall down and they worship him. Face down worship. I mean, when God gets hold of your heart and he just changes some things in your life, you do a face down worship. And they did a face-down worship. Herod was mad because the wise men went another way. And so he sent his troops to Bethlehem like Hamas. And he killed all the children from two years under. But God had come to Joseph in a dream again and said, Joseph, get out. And so Joseph woke up in the middle of the night and carried Uh, Mary and the child to Egypt. All of this is in fulfillment of scripture. So the child was saved. And how could Herod at one end say this and another end kill the babies? That was Herod. He could do that. Now Emmanuel, his name shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel is a fact of God with us. And we need God with us to forgive us of our sins there is no other way I I know of a man who this Christmas will spend his Christmas being addicted to the addiction that has driven his life when he was 18 years old he uh, was in a wreck with his and he survived the wreck but his date was killed in the wreck and the guilt of that has hounded him for all of his life. He sometimes comes with angry rages. His wife and his daughter no longer live with him because they cannot put up with his angry rage. And he's of all things, is a Florida State fan. Some of you will understand that. Some of you won't. but he struggles with the guilt that has been there for 20 years. What he needs is peace. Only kind of peace that Jesus Christ offers. We need God's presence to forgive us of our sins and things from the past and things... Maybe here in the present they kind of hang on and they drag us down and that kind of guilt cannot be dealt with any other way than yet through the blood of Jesus Christ. We need God's presence to make wise decisions because so often by ourselves we don't know all the facts and the things around the decision. Joseph almost made a bad decision. He almost divorced himself out of the Christmas story. But as life goes on, we, you, come, you and I come to those places where we need God's presence to kind of guide us and give us direction as to what's the right thing to say, what's the right thing to do? And so often we come, as King Jehoshaphat came, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you, and you got us in that direction that you need us to go. God, give me your input. And we need God's presence in making wise decisions. And I don't know what you're facing now, but you will face something in the future that you will need God to help you, guide you, and what's the right thing to do at this moment. You lead me in this moment and give me the right things to do and the right things to say. We need God's presence. Forgive us of our sins. We need God's presence not to act like Herod because every now and then we can try to manipulate others like Herod tried to manipulate the wise men. And there's a Herod in me and there's a Herod in you that every now and then will come out in unloving ways and we think we're so right when we're so wrong. I need God's presence to be that presence in me. Whoa, that's not the right thing to say. That's not the right thing to do. And like the Holy Spirit comes and guides us in that moment, and it seems so right to do something so wrong. And we can act like Herod. And We need God's presence to help us deal with Herod. But we need God's presence to go the distance. Uh, Susan and I like to go in the fall to Pigeon Forge. It's great seeing the, the country up there, great seeing uh, how the leaves are change, changing, and we just like to be in the mountains. And seeing those streams down there is so good. We always go to Bush Beans. I don't know any of you know what Bush Beans is. Bush Beans uh, is, uh, they're good beans, by the way. They make good porky <laughs> But they have a welcome center, and you get to have a bean pie. Amen. If you hadn't had a bean pie from Bush Beans, It's going to be in heaven, so get ready for it when it comes. But David Jeremiah is one of the speakers at that place we go, and we always enjoy his preaching. But he was talking about so many Christians have a start, but they have a poor finish. And somewhere along the way, maybe it's something that's happened that's taken away the enthusiasm for the Lord maybe they're still in there but they're just not as fired up for the Lord as they used to be and he just that was his heart as he shared with here he shared with some preachers who used to be so on fire for the Lord and now they're so out of place with the Lord that they're all somewhere else and he told the story about a girl who, who was getting to a late race she was about 13 or 14 years old and there was this 5k race which is three miles and uh she got there kind of late her mother got her there late and so the race had already started so she jumped in the race and started running and as she was running in that race she didn't know but she had signed up Uh, she had gotten the race for half marathon which is 13 miles and so she got in that race and Her mother had a policeman to go find her in the race and said, listen, you're going 13 miles, not three miles. And so she said, well, I'm going to run it anyway. And she stayed the course and ran that race and finished the course. Uh, Two weeks ago, I had a funeral for a lady who was 94 years old. She said, she kept saying, if I knew I was going to be 94, I'd take a better care of myself. She didn't know she was going to be 94. But let me tell you, that lady was faithful. When she was 60, when she was 70, she stayed the course. And her secret of staying the course, she had a loving relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he helped her to step every step in those 94 years of her life.